A leopard can't change its spots, a zebra cannot change its stripes, a bird cannot change its feathers, and a sinner cannot change himself. It takes the perfect Lamb of God coming and washing away our sin. Hallelujah. Give God one more hand clap of praise this morning. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? I want to preach a message today entitled, He's Not Done With You Yet. He's not done with you yet. Can everybody on the count of three out loud say these words? He's not done with me yet. One, two, three. He's not done with me yet. One more time. One, two, three. He's not done with me yet. I have a purpose to fulfill. I have a destiny to carry out. I have a work that God has called for me to do. And he's not done with me yet. Hallelujah. I want you to know this morning that no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how you feel, God is not done with you yet. Let me start off by saying this morning that failing at something does not make you a failure. Your race does not end when you fail. Your race ends when you stop getting back up. Proverbs 24 and verse 16 says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And so the key is refusing to quit. The only thing that guarantees failure is quitting. You have to get back up by the grace of God. And Jesus told Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And see, Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail. That was out of the question. The important thing was for his faith not to fail. You see, it's not a question of if we fall short, but when. And even though you, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, we still wrestle with the power of sin, which is why we're beginning a new teaching series this Wednesday entitled The Struggle. So if you, you haven't made your plans to be there, you need to make your plans to be there. Amen. First John chapter 1 verse 8 says that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from most of our unrighteousness. Cleanse us for some of our unrighteousness. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then verse 10, it says that if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, some people think that as a preacher, you shouldn't preach on sin too much. Because if you do, then people are going to sin like crazy. Can I give you a reality check this morning? They're already sinning like crazy. But there's a remedy for our sin. There is an antidote for our sin. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that doesn't just cleanse you from some of your unrighteousness, but cleanses you from all of your unrighteousness. And I want to preach on that subject this morning. He's not done with you yet. Can you pray with us this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, God. I ask you to anoint me this morning to minister your word to your people, Lord. 
Lord, I thank you that you use us not because of us, but in spite of us, that no matter how messed up we are, that by your grace and through your mercy, you use us for your glory. I ask God that this word would bring life to your people this morning, and we give you praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen Amen. and amen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is therefore now, go back to verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful that with God there is no probational period for grace? That right now there is no zero, zip, nada, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now I'd like for you to go with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 in verse 1. I'd like to do some, some teaching this morning on justification because this is one of the most critical doctrines for us to understand. I remember my brother and I, we were teaching in New Jersey. It was for a teen challenge up there. And he taught for the first hour and I taught for the second hour. And so his first hour of teaching, I mean, he went into great detail of sanctification and he really laid it out for him clearly. And, and you know, it was really good. And then I started teaching and I said, with a show of hands, how many of you know what justification is? And nobody raised their hands. And my brother said he came to realize later on that this is where a lot of those people were, that a lot of people don't even understand justification. And when you properly understand justification, then sanctification should automatically follow. And so Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you properly understand justification, it'll bring spiritual rest because you won't be working to become righteous. You'll understand that you are already righteous. It'll bring peace because you don't have to live under the weight of guilt and condemnation because you'll understand that you're forgiving, forgiven by the grace of God. It'll bring security because you won't be worried that every time you slip up that you'll lose your way with God. You'll realize that as long as you're still believing that God's not done with you yet, as long as you've still got faith at the end of the night, you are still washed, you are still cleansed, you are still forgiven, you are still just in the eyes of God and I've got good news for you this morning there's no such thing as partial justification you're not 10% justified in the eyes of God you're not 50% justified in the eyes of God you're not even 99.999% justified in the eyes of God but you are 110% justified declared legally innocent legally righteous just as if you've never sinned a day in your life and he's not done with you yet this morning hallelujah what is justification justification is a legal term which means to be declared legally innocent righteous in the eyes of God to liberate one from the sentence of guilt which holds him prisoner you see justification is the exact opposite of condemnation Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says that for most people have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, when we come to God, we've got to acknowledge that we're all sinners. If somebody says they're going to heaven because they're a good person and they've never done this, that, or the other, I've never drank or chew or hung out with those who do, and so I'm going to heaven, I want you to know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there are none good, no, not one. The only one that's good is Jesus, and the only way to be made righteous in the eyes of God is by our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us at the cross. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah, I love in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, it says that Abraham believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It says it again in Romans chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so immediately when Abraham believed in God and believed in the coming Messiah, at that moment it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, the righteousness received at the moment of justification is referred to as the imputed righteousness of Christ. Are you still with me this morning? The imputed righteousness of Christ. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20, it says this about Abraham. It says that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that that which he had promised, he was also able to perform. Verse 22, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. And so what Paul is saying here is that the imputed righteousness of God, it wasn't just for Abraham, but it's for you and I, that we can receive the righteousness of God by faith in the one that was risen up from the grave by faith in Jesus Christ. He was raised up for our justification. That word imputed, it means to credit to one's account. And so God put his righteousness in your bank account. Uh, You see, uh, we were, spiritually speaking, we were bankrupt because of original sin, and we were totally unable in and of ourselves to meet the righteous requirements of God's law. And so God placed in our account his righteousness, therefore making us righteous. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Which means that there's nothing that you have to do to be made righteous in the eyes of God. Jesus already did what needed to be done. And all you've got to do is believe in what he's done. And at that moment, God's righteousness is accredited to your account. The righteousness of God is put in your account. And so that means you don't pray to become righteous. You don't give to ch- go to church to become righteous. You don't give in the offering to become righteous. You don't worship to become righteous. You don't study and memorize scripture to become righteous you do those things because you are already righteous by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ the righteousness of God has been accredited to your account and now you do what you do as a result of that position that you already have aren't you thankful for that this morning 
You see, justification happens instantaneously and completely when we accept Jesus by faith. When you accept Jesus instantly and completely, you are justified by faith. However, sanctification is progressive. Justification is immediate, but sanctification is a process. Between justification and glorification, we will always be in that process of sanctification where God is conforming us into the image and the, and the character of Jesus Christ. And I've got good news for you. The same faith that justified you is the same faith that sanctifies you. The same faith that got you in is the same faith that keeps you in. The same faith that delivered you is the same faith that gives you victory every day of your life. Give God a hand clap of praise for that. You see, justification refers to our position in Christ, and that never changes, but our condition in Christ, it does change. Our position in Christ will never change as long as we keep our faith in that finished work. But our condition, it goes up and down. Uh, we have good days and we have bad days. There's times where we're on the mountaintop and there's times where we're in the valley. And the sanctification process is where God is trying to take our condition, which is constantly up and down, and bring it closer to our position in Jesus Christ, which is perfect. You might feel like a failure. You might feel like a mess up. You might feel like a mistake. But I want you to know that God sees you as perfect. God sees you as righteous. When God looks down on you, he doesn't see your sin he doesn't see your failure he doesn't see your mistakes but he sees the blood of jesus christ give god a hand clap of praise for that this morning you know in the old testament you had the ark of the covenant and in the ark of the covenant you had the ten commandments and you had all their things like the golden pot of manna and aaron's rod that budded but primarily you got the, the the ten commandments there and on top of the the ark of the covenant you had the two cherubim angels that were looking down and on the day of atonement the great high priest was to go in there and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and when those cherubim angels were looking down they didn't see the broken law underneath they saw the blood that was applied and I want you to know when your faith is in Jesus and God looks down on you he doesn't see the broken law he doesn't see the failure he doesn't see the mistakes but he sees the blood of Jesus Christ I want you to know that angels are looking back and they're amazed at how wonderful our salvation is they're amazed at how amazing our deliverance is they're amazed at God's redemption plan hallelujah we got something to rejoice over that not even angels can sing about we were on our way to hell but God through his son washed away our sins and we are now forgiven and reconciled unto God hallelujah and so the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring our condition closer to our position. You see, the foundation of true sanctification is justification. The faith that justified us is the same faith that sanctifies us. And until we properly understand justification, we'll never truly understand the sanctification. If we think that we were justified in the eyes of God through what we did, then our sanctification, in our sanctification, we're going to have the same mindset. That if I want to become more like Jesus, I got to do, do, do. But God's way of sanctification is done, done, done. I'm believing in that finished work and allowing the Spirit of God to 
do the work in you and to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. When we got justified, there was absolutely nothing that we could do to make our life right with God. There was nothing that we could do to turn our life around. Many of us tried and many of my old friends that knew me before I got saved when I share my testimony with them. Some of them say, yeah, you know, uh, God might have done this and that, but, but really that was you. Really that was your own effort. Really, that was your own willpower. I mean, you just you just came to grip with reality and you got yourself out of a pit. Can I tell them the devil is a liar? I tried over and over and over and over and over to get myself out of the predicaments. I tried again and again and again to change my life and to get out of the bondage that I was in. It wasn't until I walked up to an altar and I said, God, I can't do this on my own. Lord, I've tried and I've failed mi- miserably, but but Lord, if you'll turn my life around, I'll serve you with all of my heart for the rest of my life. And that's what God was waiting for. And when I came to that place of surrender, then God said, now I can move. Now I can work in your life. Now that you realize it's not about you, but it's about me. Now I can come in and do my work. You see, when you say I can't, it opens up the door for God can. And before God can work in our life, we've got to come to the end of ourselves. Uh, we've got to realize that we can't do this in our own own strength we've got to realize that you can't do it in your own effort jesus said if you want to be my disciple you must deny yourself deny your own ability deny your own strength deny your own willpower deny yourself take up your cross daily and follow after me that if you want to find life you must first lose your own life you've got to realize that this is a work that only god can do hallelujah And just as there was nothing that you could do to justify yourself, there's nothing you can do to sanctify yourself. And that's good news. I remember when I got saved and I was trying to live for God and I was going to one of the largest Pentecostal churches in this country, about 10 or 15,000 members still have many close friends there, but I was going there and I was struggling to live for God. I didn't know how to live for God. I didn't know how to live free in my life. I remember talking to people and even talking to pastors and telling them I'm trying, but it's getting difficult. You know, I got friends that are calling me and wanting me to go back out and start partying again and drink again. And, you know, the, the advice I got back then was just terrible. You know, but one pastor told me, well, you know, being a Christian is like lifting weights. The more you do it, the easier it gets. The devil's a liar. I wish that was the case. Really, it feels like the more you serve God, the harder it gets. Because God gives you bigger trials to go through, but it gives you, gives you more grace to get through it. And we go from trial to trial, from test to test, from challenge to challenge, but God will give you sufficient grace to make it through. And I remember I was trying to live for God and I was struggling to pray and, and they introduced me to this discipleship program. It was called 42 days. Some of y'all are only familiar with 40 days, but 42 days is where, where it's at. Amen. If you didn't get victory 40 days, if you'll go through 42 days, I can tell you, you're going to get victory in your life. So I tried 42 days. 40 days don't work, 41 days don't work, maybe 42 days don't work. Maybe 42 days will work. If 42 days don't work, I'll try 90 days. So I tried 42 days. I made it about a week. <laughs> they said no conversational texting. Some of y'all couldn't make it a day. They said you can have, if it's important and it's for work, you can text. But no conversational texting for a week. Then they said the next week, no hot showers. The next week... 
no sweets. The next week, an hour of sleep every night for a week straight. And, you know, because I was really struggling, you know, when somebody is struggling to live for God and people present things to them, then people are vulnerable to take whatever they get because they're just trying to get victory in their life. And, you know, everybody is struggling with something. Everyone has something in their life that they're struggling with. But I want you to know that there's victory over that thing through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I was trying to keep this program. I made it about a week and I felt like my relationship with God was actually getting worse. I called up the pastor friend of mine. I said, man, I said, I'm trying to keep this program. I really am. I'm doing my best, but I don't feel like it's helping my relationship with God. It, it actually feels like it's hurting my relationship with God. And I just don't sense the presence of God like I did when I first got saved. You know what he told me? He said, well, it's not for everybody. Can I tell you something here today? If it's not for everybody, it's not according to this book because God's got one way for everybody. He's got one route of victory for every child of God and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ and so if you want victory in your life it comes not through what you're doing but by faith in what Jesus has already done hallelujah, hallelujah. and so when I scrapped the 42 days and I just came back to that first love then I began to sense the presence of God once again in my life I remember going down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, still not really understanding how to live for God and went down there to visit family, planned, there, planned to be there for five days. And I was at dinner with three or four individuals and they just began to talk about the cross of Jesus Christ and began to share about how that same faith that saves us is the same faith that sanctifies us. And when they said that, it was a light bulb that went on and I was like, that's it. I'm working for something that's already been paid for. I'm trying to attain victory, and the victory has already been won. And all I've got to do is have faith and believe and claim that the, the victory is already afforded to me. All you've got to do is believe. And when you have that faith, then the Spirit of God can work in your life and bring about victory in your life. And so many people, they're in this place where they love God and they're struggling to live for God. And can I tell you, when you're a child of God and you're struggling and, the, and you're dealing with failure, the devil will try to eat you up with condemnation. But the cross does away with condemnation. The cross does away with failure. The cross does away with guilt. And so when you latch on to that price that was paid for you, then you can let go of the guilt. You can let go of the shame and you can let go of the condemnation and so we should always view ourselves in the light of being justified, declared innocent and righteous by faith in Christ and his cross. Give God a hand clap of praise for that this morning. Hallelujah. You see, at justification, the penalty of sin was removed. At sanctification, the power of sin is removed. And at glorification, the presence of sin will be removed. And the same faith that helped you overcome the penalty of sin is the same faith that will give you victory over the power of sin. I want you to go with me this morning to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. This is a powerful verse here this morning. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments 
and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And that's so important there. What is pleasing in his sight? What is his commandment? Verse 23. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. I I want you to focus for just a moment on verse 20. Verse 20 says this. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. You know, oftentimes when we think about condemnation, we think of it coming directly from the enemy, and the enemy does condemn. The enemy does accuse. He's the accuser of the brethren. But here it says that our own heart condemns us. You see, guilt, condemnation, a sense of failure, it will gnaw at you if you allow it to. But in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, the Bible said that your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And so you are not to believe the report that your heart is constantly telling you about your relationship with God. And let me say it like this this morning. Your heart is not the final authority over your life. Uh, Your heart can only register you've done good or you've done bad, but I know a higher core according to this text, and it says that if our heart condemns us, there is one, Jesus, who is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Hallelujah. He knows that you still love him. He knows that in your heart you want to please him. He knows that in a moment of weakness, that's not who you really are, and that's not what you're really about. And if your own heart condemns you, there is one that is greater than your heart, and he knows all things. Can I remind you here this morning, God's not done with you yet. I said he's not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. You see, God doesn't just see the deed. He knows the intent of your heart. And it's a powerful thing when you understand that the scripture I just read, that this is not a verse of condemnation. This is a verse of encouragement that even if your own heart is registering to you that you've done wrong, God who saved you when you were a sinner still loves you now that you are a son or a daughter that has messed up. And now this isn't some loose message where you live wild and crazy. That's not what I'm preaching, but I am preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if your heart condemns you, God is greater than that voice. He is greater than that heart that condemns, and he knows all things. Your heart says hypocrite. Your heart says failure. Your heart says quit. But he who knows all things says, hold on, grace is coming, mercy is coming, forgiveness is coming. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, but God who commended his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if Jesus loved us while we were sinners, how much more does he love us now that we are sons and daughters of Jesus? And if our heart condemns, we need to understand that he is greater, his voice is greater, his cross is greater, and he's not done with you yet. Now, here's the important thing in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 21. Are you still with me this morning? It goes on to say that if our heart condemns us not, notice this word, that we have confidence toward God. Now, he's really correcting us here, and he's saying, 
I don't want you to just approach me when you feel like you're having your best days, you know, because we have that tendency in our kind of human love to base it upon performance. But God said, that's not how I want you to be. I don't want you to just come on your good days and act like because of what you've done that you can be confident and that I'm going to answer you and hear your prayer. Hebrews chapter four puts it like this, that we are to come boldly to the throne of grace when in our time of need. To come boldly into the throne room of grace in our time of need. That's the time when we don't feel like coming. That's the time when we don't feel like praying. That's the time we don't feel like going to church. When we don't feel like worshiping. When we don't feel like praising. When we need mercy and when we need grace. You know, usually when your heart condemns you, your head goes down. Usually when your heart condemns you, you're ashamed. Usually when your heart condemns you, the last thing in the world you feel like doing is going to the throne of grace. And yet God says, I want you then to lift up your head and come boldly into the throne of grace to stand on a bloody welcome mat that I'll lay out in front of my throne of grace. And you'll stand not in your performance, but your acceptance will be predicated on my performance on the cross. And when I shed my blood and rose from the dead, he said, I don't want you ashamed. I don't want you condemned. I want you to lift up your head in your time of weakness and your time of failure in your time of need I want you to come boldly hallelujah, hallelujah. God's not done with you yet Oftentimes we don't believe what I'm preaching. We believe we're supposed to go around all frigid and frail for a while. But he said, I want you in your time of weakness and in your time of need, come on in with boldness. And if your heart condemns you, I am greater than your heart. And I know all things. Hallelujah. I see beyond your fall and I see what you will become by my grace. I love that song that said, he looked beyond my fall and he saw my need. He looked beyond your failure and he saw your need. He looked beyond your mistakes and he saw your need and he doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as what you will become through his grace working in your life. Hallelujah. Often it's times when you perform correctly that you feel like only then you can have confidence toward God. But God says, I don't want you to come boldly on your perfect days when you've checked every box. I want you to come into my presence when you've had a rotten week and you are in real need of mercy and grace. He said, I don't want you to come in with your head down, ashamed and embarrassed. I want you to come asking for the keys to the kingdom because it never was based upon your performance. Some people don't really believe the gospel, but it is amazing grace that we have. It is amazing mercy that we have. It is unlimited in what it will do for you. If you believe that, give God a hand clap of praise for that this morning. <clears throat> Hallelujah. You know, the bad thing about condemnation is that it crushes your soul. And the devil is such a con artist that he'll put on the robe of temptation and he seduces and he tempts people in a weak moment to do something they shouldn't. And then he runs into the dressing room and changes his wardrobe. And while you're doing what you shouldn't, he comes and starts accusing you. And so he begins to put condemnation on you. Now listen to this this morning. Condemnation is hell's agent to drive you away from God, but conviction is the Holy Spirit's agent to drive you to God. I'll say that one more time. Condemnation is the devil's tool to drive you away from 
from God, but conviction is a tool of the Spirit of God to push you closer to Jesus. The only thing the devil can do is drive you closer to Jesus. Hallelujah. Condemnation, if you listen to your heart, it says guilty. Quit. Give up. You did it again. You're a drunk. You're an addict. You thought it again. You said it again. You're no good. And God says, I want you in that time when you have struggled and you need mercy and grace, I want you to come and stand in my presence and let me give you grace to do what you cannot do on your own. Hallelujah. You know, Satan is the accuser, but God says, I won't drop you because you dropped the ball. Or as long as you measure up, I'll love you. This is not what that book, this is not what this book teaches. The devil condemns, listen to this, he condemns because he can only give what's inside of him. The devil is condemned. You know, when the devil messed up, God didn't send a flea to redeem him. But when you and I messed up, God bankrupted heaven and he gave his best. He gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for you and for me. And so all the devil can do is condemn, but the Holy Spirit convicts us to, to draw us to Jesus. And by the way, that same devil that condemns you and attacks you the moment you fall for temptation, there's nobody who's been a loser longer than Satan. You know, the devil couldn't live for God when there was no devil. The devil couldn't live for God when there was no sin. The devil couldn't live for God when there was no temptation, when there was no curse. And here we are in a cursed world, in a temptation world. I'm in a sinful world, but I follow Jesus. And when I slip and when I fall, don't you accuse me, devil. You couldn't live it while you were in heaven, and I'm living it down here on earth. And when I do fall, I'll come boldly under the throne of grace and obtain mercy and in our time of need somebody shout grace 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 hallelujah grace is saying i know all things grace is saying i'm greater than your mistakes grace is saying i know deep in your heart you're ashamed and you're sorry and i want to tell you just like when he came and found me in my sin he comes now that i'm a son and he loves me with the same fervency with the same grace and with the same mercy and when you understand this and you can live a guilt-free life hallelujah I may have to go through some fights, but you know what? I will go through them because I love Jesus and I want to be like him and be made into his image. And I will not settle until I am. I want you to know this morning, God's not done with you yet. God's not done with your, I don't know what you've done and I don't know what you've come through, but he's not done with you yet. God still has a plan. God still has a purpose. God still has a destiny for your life. He's not done with you yet. Hallelujah. Give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. You know, in John chapter 8, and I won't hold you too much longer. Can I have 10 more minutes this morning? If I can have 10 more minutes, raise your hand. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Got an hour left. John chapter 8 and verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the, into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees, don't you love the scribes and the Pharisees? One of my professors, he always had cheesy jokes, and he said, 
The Pharisees, they weren't fair, you see. And the Sadducees, they were sad, you see. It says the scribes and the Pharisees had brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not even hear him. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, I love this. He said, he who is without sin among you, let him cast, let him throw the first stone. All these religious people saying, this woman should be stoned to death. Now, the thing is, is they never said anything about the man. So really their uh, hypocrisy was shining through here. But they all said this woman should be stoned to death. Jesus said, okay, well, he who is without sin, let them cast the first stone. And I love this. It says, uh, verse 8, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. They were all gone. They all, they all knew that they were sinners. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw that nobody but the woman was there, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go in sin no more. You know what Jesus was saying to her? She, he was saying, I'm not done with you yet. They might be done with you, but I ain't done with you yet. The church might be done with you, but I ain't done with you yet. Your family might be done with you, but I ain't done with you yet. Your friends might be done with you, but I ain't done with you yet. Done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. Hallelujah. And I love that Jesus had the perfect balance here between not condemning and not condoning. Jesus wasn't saying that you can go on and do whatever you're doing, but what Jesus was saying is that no longer are you condemned, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is justification here. When you get justified by faith, you know what God is saying? He's saying, go and sin no more. You're free. You're free to live for God. Not to live in, in the flesh, but now you're free to live in victory over the flesh. You see, grace is not a license to sin, but grace is the ability to get freedom over the power of sin. And Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, he said that sin shall not have dominion over you. Yes, we fall and yes, we fail, but there is grace and there is mercy to pick you up. And I've got good news for you here today. He's not done with you yet. God's still has a plan and God still has a purpose for your life. Would you stand to your feet here this morning?